for condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to I want to remind you, though once you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chain under darkness for the judgment of the great day. At Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the visions of eternal fire. Father, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word. Now we beseech you by the precious name of Jesus Christ that you, and by the power and the authority of your Holy Spirit, teach us today, minister to us, minister to your word, Lord God, that we may hear your word and grow, Lord God, in the knowledge and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we walk in faith, we grow in faith through our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is, who you are, God, and who your Holy Spirit is, and their role. We thank you this morning that you have taught us and continue to teach us who you are, Lord God, who you are, Jesus Christ, and who the Holy Spirit is and its role in the believer's life. Holy Spirit, I am your temple, which is given unto me by God. I am not my own, for I have been bought with the price. But because you live inside of me, I glorify God my Father in my spirit, in my body, and in my spirit, which are God. I am nothing but a speck of dust. You are everything. Lord Jesus, and we need you today to speak by your spirit through me, that I yield myself in order that the word of God may come forth in its purest in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to reiterate what I started out on last week, and that is that every event of our day should cause us to reminisce a biblical day when Christians enduring unrelenting attacks because of their faith, men and women were arrested and thrown in prison and murdered. They were forced into arenas where they were murdered for sport and eaten by wild animals for entertainment. Nero, Rome's fifth emperor, Octavian, Augustus, or Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, uh, and uh, Claudius, being the ones who preceded him, Nero ruled for 14 years from AD 54 to his suicide in A.D. 68. He was a wicked man, a wicked, wicked man indeed. In A.D. 64, Rome was set ablaze, resulting in a large part of the city being destroyed. Knowing that the people suspected him as the cause of the fire, and some may say he was the culprit, in order to escape their gaze, he blamed the Christians for setting the fire and causing the resulting damage. Many Christians were tried, convicted, and tortured to death because of what Nero said, Nero's accusation. Both fear and fall may have been among those persons. 
Christians were persecuted also because they refused to worship anyone but Christ. Regardless of the efforts of idolaters and Israel worshipers to force Christians to worship things or people, Christians consistently refused, choosing to serve Jesus Christ alone. Today, I fear the church is in grave danger from groups like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram, the LGBT, homegrown gays, ISIS sympathizers, and other extremist groups. Christians are being slaughtered in the Middle East and right here in America. We need to look no further than Charleston, South Carolina, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the Supreme Court's decision to rule unconstitutional the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage and spouse as follows. In determining the meaning of acts of any act of Congress or of rule, any ruling, regulation, or interpretation of the various administrative bureaus and agencies of the United States, the word marriage means only a large, a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife, and the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or a wife, and that definition of marriage is in the amendment to Chapter 1 of Title 1 of the United States Code. And prior to the language I just read, Congress added Section 1738C uh, to Chapter 115 of the Title 28 of the U.S. Code, and it reads, No state, territory, or possession of the United States or Indian tribe shall be required shall be required to give effort to any public act, record, or judicial proceeding of any other state, territory, possession, or tribe respecting a relationship between persons of the same sex that is treated as a marriage under the law of such other state, territory, possession, or tribe, or a right or claim arising from such relationship. So strategically, the Supreme Court, in response to a petition on the constitutionality of NOMA, ruled on 26 June 2013 that the federal statute is invalid. So some may see the massacre in Charleston as a racial act, the killing of our men in uniform, and the Supreme Court's decision on NOMA and same-sex folks. But there, is, there are deep spiritual implications. The church is also under attack as evidenced by recent church burning in Greenville, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Knoxville, Tennessee, Humboldt, Tennessee, Macon, Georgia, Warrenville, South Carolina, and Tallahassee, Florida. The church is also under attack from within. According to an article written by Dr. Richard J. Frazier in Into Thy Word from 1989 to 2006, they did a survey of 1,500 pastors and, they, and, and discovered that 1,500 pastors, rather, uh, leaving the ministry each month due to moral failure, due to spiritual burnout or contention in their churches. He says of the 1,050 pastors, this organization surveyed 412 or 52% of pastors stated that the number one reason was organizational and control issues. A conflict arose that forced them out based on who was going to lead and manage the church? Listen, it is the pastor whom God has called. It is the pastor whom God has ordained, not the membership. Not the membership. 
I understand. I understand this, this, this diplomatic uh, situation, this diplomatic order in the church, according to the government. But God put a pastor, one person, in charge of the ministry. Everyone else is support staff. That may sound harsh, but it's no more harsher than you going to your job and working for a boss and being supported to him or her and doing what they have called you to do. Why do you find it so difficult to submit to God, the man of God or the woman of God, when God has put in position as pastor over his church? There is no difference. You have charge over your family at home if you have wife, a wife and children, if you have a husband and children. You have a position of leadership in your home. Your children are subordinate to you. And if you are the man of the house, then you are subordinate. You are, you are above your wife, over your wife. But the Bible says that God is over Christ, Christ is over man, and man is over his wife. So there is order. And there must be order in order for us to function properly. We have laws in our nation. Kenya Ward Beaker says, a law is precious not because it's a law, but because there is right in it. There is order. Our society, our nation cannot function in chaos. If there is division in our nation, there is chaos in our nation. We must learn to live together and respect authority. That's why so many of our police are dying on the streets because we have young men and women who don't respect authority. We have to learn to submit and stay within the laws that have been established to govern our society. They can't submit. And let me tell you something. Without one aspect of this ministry is changing communities to changing families. If we have men and women sitting in church trying to do what God has called a man and woman or a man or woman of God to do, instead of supporting them, trying to rule them and run over them and, and, and hold pay in all things, hold them hostage because by, not refuse, by refusing to pay them or to respect them or to honor them, then you have a problem. Now that problem begins in our home because we have not taught our children and how to respect authority. Heck, how can we, when our children cuss us out, when our children tell us what to do, we work and we provide for our families, and our children tell us what to do with our money, tell us how to, what we are going to do, and if we don't do it, they will do what they want to do, and they make our lives a living hell. Let me tell you something. As parents, you have to rule your house. Your children are not to rule your house. That's where the problem began. And if we're going to change the community, change communities, we have to change families. Of the 100, or the 1,050 pastors, in his organizational survey, 52% of pastors, or 412, stated that the number one reason was organization or control issue. A conflict arose that forced them out based on who was going to lead and manage the church, the pastor, the elders, the key laypersons, the faction, while 190 or 24% stated that the number one reason was either their church was already in such a significant degree of conflict, conflict, people can't work together, can't get along together, can't respect one another. There you go again. 
into the house of the Lord where the word of God is being preached, where the word of God is being taught so that they may understand what God's plan is for their lives. Praise God. I know you're taking off your soapbox, but this is important. This is vitally, vitally important. Listen. Over 80% of pastors stated this was this as the number two, if not already number one, and for the rest, it was number three, and that is. 14% of 119 pastors stated the number one reason to be that the church was resistant to their leadership, resistant to the vision, teaching, or to change, or that their leadership was too strong or too fast. There has to be someone in a position of leadership. You can't just rule everything. You cannot live in a state of chaos. We simply cannot. We'll, America, if America lived in a state of chaos, we would not be America. We would be a third world nation. You only need to look around, read the books, read the newspaper, watch the news, see what's happening around the world, the third world nation. There is no unity. We have warlords that want to be ruler of the nation. We have all manner of things. We have fanatics running around, killing and destroying, and because people are different than they are. Heck, even right here in America, people look down on other people because of their race, because of their skin color, because of their, their jobs, or because of where, their neighborhoods and where they live. We can't begin. We can't continue to live like that. We are supposed to be a united nation. We are supposed to be a people united under one God. And we must be under one God. And so in order to be under one God, that implies that we must submit ourselves to that God, which is the God of all creation, Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai, the God who is the creator of heaven and earth and all things, the God who himself stretched out the heavens with his own hand, the God who spoke into existence the sun, the moon, and the stars, the bright the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. God created these things. There is no evolution. Darwin was wrong. Everything is wrong. Everybody who says that there is evolution is wrong. We need to learn to submit to leadership. I may not have enjoyed all the leaders that I was under. I was under through my 35 years of active duty military service. All the leaders that I've been under and, and I'm, I'm a pastor that I've been under under my 35 years of better in, in ministry or in service, I have learned to submit. I have learned to respect authority, to submit to authority. Whether I agree with it or not is irrelevant. I submitted to authority so long as it didn't tell me to do something that was against the law, that was respectful, and that did not harm anyone. I submitted to authority. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to get back to. We need to get back to authority. We can't discipline our children out of anger. We must discipline them with a calm head, with respect, and with love. And therefore, we don't have to live in fear about disciplining our children and they're running and telling the police that my parents hit me and then they come and they arrest the parents. What kind of mess is that? Not that I, that I condemn it, but understand, without discipline, there can be no respect, there can be no order. The number one or number two reason is that 
church, the church, and church are the people who are resistant to their leadership, their vision, their teaching, or the change. And or their leadership was too strong or too fast. In other words, they wanted to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it, and that's all there is to it. Well, we can't live like that. You don't live like that on your job. Why would you expect someone else to live like that, another organization to be like that? Doesn't make sense. Not only from the highest courts in America, from the church folks and pastors of highly questionable conduct, but there are people standing in buildings they call the house of God, and they are twisting the precious, pure word of God into what they want to hear. Because that's when they knew God, the Bible said, they glorified him not as God, neither were they faithful, but became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. That was Romans 1, 21 through 23 says. And therefore the time will come, says the Paul, when they will not endure sound teaching or doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves Teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So says Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. When Jude wrote this letter, it was to warn his readers that the apostates were already on the sea. Apostasy alludes to the end times when Christ's return is near. There is the coming a catastrophe. Uh, I'm sorry, there is coming a catastrophic revolt against the authority of God, which is apocalyptic or, catas- or catastrophic. In the in apocalyptic, the word apocalyptic or in apocalyptic language, we can be, we can be found in Isaiah 24 uh, through 27, uh, 56 through 66 in the book of Joel, and also in Zechariah chapter 9 through 14. In these passages, the eschatological future is viewed in terms of direct divine intervention, a universal judgment of the nations and a new age of salvation in which the world will be radically transformed. We have to understand that as we near the end, God is going to be doing some mighty things. He's going to be making some changes. Just like folks who make the statistics I just read, God is going to rule those out. He's going to weed those out. And he's going, to, he's going to call those and he's going to work with those who will submit to authority. Because of that, because of all that's happening in America and around the world, we are drawing closer to the time of Jesus' return. Jude understood this, which is why he wrote to exhort, to encourage the church. In the Greek language, the word exhort was used to describe a general giving orders to the army. The atmosphere of this letter is military. Jude had started to write a quite emotional letter about salvation, but the Spirit led him to put down his heart and sound the trumpet. So, this epistle of Jude is a call to arms. Say that, a call to arms. Say it like 
to me is a call to arms. When there is a call to arms, there is a clear danger of harm to the citizens of a town, a nation, or the body of Christ. In our text, Jude is calling the Christians to arm themselves because there is an imminent, clear, and present danger to the church of Jesus Christ. When there is a call to arms, three things must be present. There must be the army. There must be the enemy. There must be an enemy, and there must be a victory. And last week, we talked about the army. We addressed the army. I love it. We talked about the army that is comprised of those with common salvation, sanctification, which is preserved by and equipped with peace and God's love. This morning, I will endeavor by the authority of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to minister the final two points of this anointed message, the enemy and the victory. The enemy and the victory. So let's go to our second division, which is the enemy, verses 3 and 4. If you have that turn, you turn to those that that verse, those verses in your Bible. Jude is only one chapter, and is right before Revelation. Jude, verses three and four. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and did not deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about the enemy, we think of when the enemy is an ungodly enemy. They were ungodly. Many people attending church claim to belong to God when, in fact, they were ungodly in their thinking and in their living. They might have a form of godliness, but they lack the force of godliness that lives in the true Christian. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says, they have having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. In the Bible, and Paul warns us, from such turn away. We cannot as a believing body, we cannot delude ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that everyone is good, that everyone loves God. No, that is not true. You must be careful of that. Secondly, the enemy, when we think about the enemy, we think about the enemy because the enemy deals deceitfully with people. They were deceitful, those who crept in unaware. The Greek word means to slip in secretly, to steal in undercover. Sometimes Satan's undercover agents are brought in secretly by those already on the inside. Listen to what Galatians 2 and 4 says. And that's because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus.
Jesus, that we might bring, that they might bring us into bondage. But these men came in on their own, the ones that Jesus is talking about. Be the ones that these men were coming. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresy, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And now they have arrived on the sea. Abraham, as Moses taught the children of Israel, he says, how do you know that the prophet of the Lord has spoken? When the things that the prophet said will come to pass, come to pass. And here, both Jude and Peter are prophesying about what's getting ready to happen. Not only did they speak it before it happened, but as a result of what they said, a little bit of passage of time, they have arrived on the scene. Even today, false prophets have arrived on the scene. How, you might ask, could false brethren get into true assemblies of his saints? Well, the soldiers had, to, had gone asleep on their post. And as Christians, we cannot afford to fall asleep. We, we are in the army of the Lord. We cannot stand afford to fall asleep. What do I mean? You have to be prayed up. You have to be in the word of God. You have to be praying for God to give you spiritual discernment. You have to pray and ask God to give you the wisdom of his Holy Spirit. You have to pray and ask God to give you understanding that you, that you may ask God to help conform you more and more into the image of his son so that you walk by faith, not by sight, that you are led by the spirit and not by the flesh, you have to be alert. You cannot fall asleep. You cannot relax. You cannot rest on your laurels because you have made it. No, you've got to stand strong as an army. When I was in the military and I had to stand duty, and I was out, outside while the ship was in the yard. We had 10 orders we had to stop. Oh, who goes there? Advance and be recognized. And we had, to, we had to be alert. We could not sleep on our watch because we understood that if we fell asleep, anyone could walk in and create damage to our ship, create damage to the life or cause the death of men and women who are serving in our armed forces. We had to stand watching. We had to be vigilant. We had to be alert. That's what we have to be in the church because too much is going on around us. Too many things are happening. We have people on the outside trying to come in and take over, and they're doing it secretly. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. The spiritual leaders in the church have grown complacent and careless. We cannot afford that anymore. We've got to be alert. We've got to be on our post, my brothers and sisters. This explains why Jude had to blow the trumpet to wake them up. Our Lord and his apostles all warned that, and are still warning the church that false teachers will come yet, will come, yet the church did not give careful 
churches are not paying attention to the warning today. We cannot afford this. Brothers and sisters, when the enemy comes, they're enemies. These were enemies of God's grace. They will come against the grace of God. Why did they enter the church? To attempt to change the teachings and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. The word lasciviousness simply means wantonness, absence of moral restraint and indecency. A person who is lascivious thinks only of satisfying his or her lust, and whatever they touch is stained by their filthy appetite. Lasciviousness is one of the works of the flesh. Galatians 5 and 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that ushers forth from the evil heart of men. That's what Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 22 says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. No, my brothers and sisters, it is real. Just as it was in the day that these words were penned, so it is today. We're living it out, we're walking it out, we're seeing it every day of our lives. We can ill afford, my brothers and sisters, to ignore it, to just walk by it and say, forget it. We have got to pray. We have got to live a life that represents Jesus Christ. Jesus never, Jesus never cussed. He never hated anybody. He loved everybody. He corrected everybody, but he did it in love. He stayed true to who he was. He stayed true to the Father who sent him. He stayed true to his purpose. He did not get out of character. He remained who he was. And he remains who he is. And it was because of his faithfulness that he was able to save you and I, the apostates. Like the cultists today, use the word of God to promote and defend false doctrine. For example, there is the United Reformed Church, which started allowing same-sex couples in the United Kingdom. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America officially began allowing same-sex couples in late August 2009. And this finally started, but not least, not last, but this is all the examples I'm giving. Now, finally, the Presbyterian Church, USA, General Assembly, Permanent Judicial Commission, ruled in 2006 that same-sex ceremonies are not forbidden as long as they are not considered to be the same as marriage service. What? Service of Jesus Christ cannot compromise on the word of God. What kind of foolishness is that? You cannot compromise, period. Why in the world was this topic given serious consideration by a body of Jesus Christ only goes to show that false teachers have crept in unaware, polluted the minds of unsuspecting Christians. They seduce young, immature Christians who have not yet been grounded in the scriptures. Every soldier in the public cross needs to come through boot camp in his or her local church so that he or she knows how to use the weapons of their spiritual warfare. 
him to die, but to turn away from him, but to turn to him. They were not, God did not ordain them to become apostates as though God were responsible for their sin. God is not a tempter of sin. God does not tempt anyone with sin, and he himself cannot be tempted with sin. Why would he do something so foolish if he died on the cross to give you an opportunity for eternal life? The state of your condition was rotten and lost well before he came into the world. Don't blame God for your sins. Don't blame God because you can't figure out what sex you are. Don't blame God because you can't figure out that you're supposed to love people and not go around and murder them. You can't blame God because you're going around and you're prejudiced against people because of their color or because of their because of their ethnic background or their creed or their belief. You can't blame God for your your short-sightedness and your prejudices. God did not ordain that such people would be judged and condemned. No, 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 no. In the Old Testament, the prophets did not call prophets of their day. And both Jesus Christ and his apostles pronounced judgment on them. We do the same thing today. Those who are not Christ, who are going around and turning the hearts of people away from God and telling lies about the Word of God, mistreating the Word of God, using the Word of God for their own personal gain, you've got something to deal with. You've got God to face. And I tell you what, it's a terrible thing to be in the hands of a living God. And there's only one living God. And that's God himself, creator of heaven and earth. Don't get it twisted. When dealing with the enemy of Jesus Christ's church, Jude tells us we have to earnestly contend for the faith. The faith refers to that body of biblical doctrine that was given by God through the apostles to the church. Paul warned Timothy uh, and Titus to make sure the believers were being taught sound doctrine. He says, which he says this, which means healthy doctrine, doctrine that promotes the spiritual health of the local church, while individual teachers and preachers may disagree about the final point of theology. There is a basic body of faith to which all true Christians are committed. And those are the church doctrines. This body of truth was the shepherd, verse 3, to the saints. The word means to be entrusted with. The word delivered means to be entrusted with. The church collectively and each Christian personally has a stewardship to fulfill. You have a responsibility to fulfill what God has called you to. But as we allow, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so, we must speak the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4. See, God committed the truth to Paul, 1 Timothy 1 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, is what Paul said, and he shared it with others such as Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, Old Timothy, God was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babbling and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. To the Ephesians, to the Ephesian church, our elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 35, uh, Paul writes, Wherefore I witness to you 
that testimony. I have the same testimony that Paul has, that Paul has just given. I don't, I, I'm not looking for, and, and not a workman is the Bible, but the workman is worthy of his hire. But I'm not looking for anybody to do anything for me. I'm looking to give because Jesus says, freely you receive, freely you give. But, glory. He says, I have not covered this. The silver or gold or clothing of no one. He says, you yourself know that these hands have ministered to my wants and to those who are with me. I have showed you all things because I have told you everything. And thus, laboring, we ought to come to in aid of the weak and to remember the word of the Lord that he himself said. Here they go again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I read this out of the 1890 edition of the Darby Bible. That just goes, the reason I did that is because I wanted you to understand that just as your word reads today, it just it read that way well over 100 and so years ago. 100 plus 18, 2,000 plus years ago. 3,000 probably go from now. So 2,000 years ago. So the reason we have the word of God today is because of the faithfulness the faithfulness of those who came before us. They understood. They understood the value of God's word. They understood the value of what Christ spoke. He came into this world. He spoke this word. He died for this word. He rose for this word. He ascended for this word. And he's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf to watch over his word. Glory to God. Uh, uh, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do in our day, in every generation, in every nation. The church of Jesus Christ has to change communities through changing families, and the primary way of achieving this is by rightly teaching the word of truth. That is, God's word is truth. Who, what does it mean to contend for the faith? The Greek word is an athletic term that gives us our English word agonize. It is the picture of a devoted athlete, a devoted Christian, competing in the Greek games, games rather, and stretching his nerves and muscles to do if they do his very best to win. You never fight the Lord's battle by sitting in a rocking chair or laying down on a, on a, cushy, on a cushy bed. You will never win that way. But soldiers the soldiers of Christ and the athletes must be con- con- must concentrate on doing their best and giving their all. Let me tell you one more time. You will never fight the Lord's battle from a rocking chair, and you will never fight it from sitting in a soft bed or lying in a soft bed. There must also be teamwork. Believers working together to attack and defeat the enemy. As Christian soldiers, we must not fight each other or go around looking for trouble. But when the banner of Christ is in, the, in danger or being, or being taken by the enemy, we cannot sit idly by, nor can we ever hope to win the victory by wearing his gloves. We've got to get down and dirty. The kingdom of God suffered violence, but the violence must take it by force. We've got to get busy. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon quoted is saying. Here's what Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying. The new views are not the old truth in a better dress, but dead 
any error with which we can have no fellowship. Listen, false doctrine is deadly poison that must be identified, labeled, and avoided. He also said, I cannot endure false doctrine, however neatly it may be put before me. Would you have me eat poison meat because the dish is of the choicest ware? I think not. Here's what I believe. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. It doesn't make it any less a pig. We must speak the truth in love, and the weapons we must use must be spiritual. And at the same time, we must dare to take our stand for the faith, even if our stand offends some or upset others. We are not fighting a personal fight. We're not fighting a personal enemy. No, 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 no. But the enemies of the Lord, it is the honor, it is to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ that we that is at stake right now. Fight the good fight of faith. First Timothy six and twelve tells us, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the eternal life and which and to which you were all called so called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, from our army. Uh, my wife just told me I don't have any more time. But I have one more point I wanted to make, but uh, we'll, uh, if you'll bear with me just a little bit longer, I want to finish this sermon today because there's so much in it. Uh, we'll have to produce some uh, CDs for you to, to grab hold of this and listen to it all over again. So from the Army and the enemy, we come to our final point uh, in a call to arms, and that is to contend for the state, and that is the victory. The victory speaks to the outcome on the part of the belief, on behalf of the believer, verses 5 and 7 through 7. But I wanted to remind you, though you once do this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change from the darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to thee, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, or are set forth as example, as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. To divide to drive this home, this message, this message drew, drew from three examples from the old testament history to illustrate God's victory over those who had resisted his authority and turned from the truth. In short, Jude was making the point that God judges apostates. Apostates, as I stated earlier, are those who have abandoned the teachings of Christ for the things of this world. These are not true believers because they have abandoned their salvation. He is the person who has professed to accept the truth and trust the Savior, and then turns from the faith to which once was, to which once delivered unto, unto the saints. John, the beloved, says it this way in First John chapter two, verses eighteen through nineteen. He says, "Little children, it is the last time, and it truly is. We are living in the last days. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are the are there many Antichrists." whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would not, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us, of all of us. So it's important to understand that in the church there are false teachers. Therefore, the false teachers who had crept into the church would also one day be judged. Their seeming success would not last. God will have the final word. The victory, Israel, verse 5. Both Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, and the author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapters 3 through 4, used the experiences of Israel to illustrate important spiritual truths. The nation was delivered from Egypt by the power of God and brought to the broad border of the promised land. But the people were afraid and did not have the faith to enter in and possess the land. Read Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. Moses and Joshua and Caleb tried with all their might to encourage the people to obey, by, by, to obey God by faith, but the people refused. In fact, the leaders of the tribe even wanted to organize and go back to Egypt to place the body. False prophets will tear down hope. False prophets will cause fear to enter the hearts of the children of God. They cannot be allowed into the church. They cannot allow to be functioning. They can function and operate within the church. We must be aware of that. Same-sex marriages is opposed to, does not enter the heart of God. Murders and robberies and, 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 and assaults of sexual nature or physical assault just for the sake of <coughs> taking, life, taking life or ideology is not ordained by God. God does not ordain or condone people murdering other people for no reason whatsoever. He says, thou shalt not kill. In other words, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not covet. In other words, don't be, don't be eyeballing somebody else's property. Don't be eyeballing somebody else's spouse. Don't be eyeballing this and eyeballing that. <coughs> that does not belong to you but belongs to someone else. They wanted to lead the people back into bondage when God sent them plagues and opened up the Red Sea and drove and, and led them by a cloudy pillar during the day and a fiery pillar by night, that God cleared them and, and freed them from the bondage based on their cry and his promise to Abram. To Abram. And yet there were some that thought it more beneficial for them to go back to slavery where they were whipped and made to make brick without straw that were forced to do labor and labor and labor without any concern. They rather they would rather be held down with somebody's foot on their neck than to walk like real men and women that God created them to be. Something's wrong with that picture. Never forget where you come from. Don't forget where God brought you from because you will have a tendency to romanticize where you came from, and before you know it, you'll slip right back into it. And then you'll regret it, and you'll cry out the same cry that you cried when it moved God to drive you out of it to begin with. This was rebellion against the real and the word of God. And God
God cannot tolerate rebellion. As a result, everybody in the camp, 20 years and older, was, was destined to die during Israel's 40-year wilderness trek. Their unbelief resulted in them not entering into the promised land and their death. Keep in mind that Jude was using historical events as an illustration. The entire nation was delivered from Egypt. But that does not mean that each individual was personally saved through faith in the Lord. Remember that. Just because God delivered them doesn't mean they, did, they have faith in the Lord. The main point of the account is that the privileges, that privileges bring responsibility. And God cannot lightly pass over the sins of his people. Committees of Jews readers dare to follow false teachers, they too would be faced, would have to face the discipline of God. Wherefore let him that think of these standards take heed, let me fall. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve. Listen. Victory. He used an analogy illustration of victory. The fallen angel. God getting the victory. Believers getting the victory through Christ. Why? If you listen to the fallen angels, he used another example, verse 6. Among the angels were those who had remained in their place in their habitation, that is, in heaven, and had been obedient to God. But because of free will, others rebelled and left their first position of authority and are now in darkness, bound for judgment on the day, on that great day. While this may sound strange to us, the way you refer to the angels gives reason to believe that this truth was very well accepted by his readers and thus needed no further explanation. However, let me give you a couple examples of what the Bible says about this, these angels that are bound and held in darkness until that great day. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, And I saw an angel descending from the heavens, having the key of the fist and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him. Ah, in Second Peter chapter two, verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment, listen, there is coming a judgment. And if we're not on God's side, then we are hell-bound. Here's the third and final example that Jews use it, Sodom and Gomorrah. God got the victory over their foolishness, over their wickedness. Here Jews is saying that God made these cities an example. America, wake up. Supreme Court, wake up. President, wake up. Congress, wake up. Vice President, wake up. Wake up. State government, wake up. Here's, the, here's an example. When we look at the description of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities that were involved, we discover the inhabitants, the people, they were ungodly, guilty, wicked, unlawful, unjust, and given over to fornication. They did not commit unnatural sexual sins every once in a while. They indulged in him and gave themselves over to the pursuit of it. The Greek verb is insensitive to indulge in excessive immorality. This was their way of 
life and death. Strange flesh needs different flesh. <clears throat> the bits of their life were constantly downward, indulging in unnatural acts. Romans 1, 24-27. These cities were set forth by God as an example and a warning to ungodly people today and to the nation of America. The verb set forth means to expose openly to public view while we do not know where these cities are, although some say they are buried under the Dead Sea. The fact that they were testified, that they are testified against in the Bible should be enough to deter us from the sort of behavior they engaged in. I think I guess apparently not. When you have churches ordaining this fact, apparently not. I would also say that America, Canada, and other nations around the world have elevated this homosexual tolerance to a level that those in Sodom and Gomorrah perhaps did not consider. See, this makes Sodom and Gomorrah look like little children, child's play. God will deal with this abomination, and he will deal with all who have had a hand in promoting it. The sin of Israel was rebellious unbelief. Hebrews 3.12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. The sin of angels was a rebellion against the throne of God. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was indulging in unnatural lust. The laws passed by states, the Supreme Court, the highest offices in our government are all are, are a rejection of the word of God. Unbelief, rebellion against authority, and sensual indulgence were sins characteristics of all teachers. The conclusion is obvious. The apostate will be judged. But the meanwhile, God's soldiers must stay on duty and see to it that these false teachers do not creep into the grace and start to lead God's people astray. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. And so as I conclude, and I thank you for your patience as believers and soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ, we have to fight for our faith daily. We must daily feast upon the word of God. We must consume it like we stuff down our meal. We must stand up for the word of God. We cannot sit idly by and remain silent while the world is determined to suffer eternal damnation. We must have, we have a calling to fulfill. We have to tell everyone we meet about salvation through Jesus Christ. This is a call to arms. Contend for the faith, my brothers and sisters. And I pray that you've been blessed by this word. And I thank God for this word. Now, if there's anyone who does not know the, the Lord to the forgiveness of their